Welcome to another episode of the Underground Bunker Podcast. This is your proprietor, Tony Ortega. And this week, I'm joined by Kat, who I'm so happy you reached out to me after the Austin Ideal Org. How are you doing, Kat? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, just chilling in Austin. Well, let's um, remind people who you are. And I want to thank you again um, because you went to the Austin Ideal Org opening or you tried to go and um, reminded me about some great stuff we posted several years ago and reminded me of just how much these poor Texas Scientologists have been under so much pressure for so many years to make this basically, it's a monument to David Miscavige's ego. But there's also a whole other story about how you got involved in all this. It's very unusual. Please remind everybody how you came to be in Scientology to begin with. Um, okay, so, yes, it was a very uh, strange story. It was a very odd thing for me to do as a person, but uh, I'm owning it. Um, so basically, uh, I was a stand-up comedian um, in Austin. Um, been doing it for several years at that point. Um, and, you know, a lot of uh, comedians, they do stand-up, but they also do, you know, YouTube content, um, now TikTok and all that stuff. But back then, um, you know, it was a lot of people doing YouTube stuff. And so I uh, had an idea um, because I knew a lot about Scientology already. Um, I wanted to uh, do some sort of comedic series on Scientology. Um, specifically, um, I thought there was like a, a bit of a gap in the uh, sort of info out there about um, what people actually do in the classes, like what they're actually learning, how they spend their time um, in these courses. Um, and even I didn't know exactly what went down. Um, so I wanted to, you know, take some courses there um, and see, you know, what I could learn and then maybe do sort of like a comedic, like, um, you know, th at the time it was like uh, drunk history was a big thing. So I was like, maybe we can do drunk psychology. I, it was just, there was some, just a vague idea in my head, you know. Um, but what ended up happening was um, I got much more sucked into just the entire situation that was going on there. Um, I, you know, taking, I, I thought I could just take some courses and be sort of separate, but it definitely lured me in. I got very um, a, kind of attached to people. I ended up hanging around for a um, solid year. And then like, there was like four or five months where I was just kind of, I was uh, on the way out, um, being kicked out. So. Were you were you aware at the time? I mean, were you conscious at the time that hey, this is not going the way I had planned? I'm getting in a little deeper than I expected. Uh, you know, how did you handle that? Um, yeah, I I definitely realized that um I was off of my path. Um, but I sort of got an attitude about it where I was like you know what, I'm actually, I don't know if it was just being, I was entertained or if I was just more moved or like what was going on, but I consciously was like, I want to keep seeing where this goes. There was a slight bit of addiction to like 
just discovering things, like observing things. Um, and I just sort of accepted that. Um, however, another thing started to emerge where I did feel a little bit trapped because um, at a certain point I was like, well, if I do end up making something of this, then that means I do have to disavow these people and then I'll never be able to speak to them again. Um, so for a while, I had a very difficult time deciding what I wanted to do because the, the only way to detach was to give up all these relationships that I'd created. Besides the attachments you were forming with other people, were you... Uh you know, getting interested in some of the tech or did, were you always kind of aware that, no, I'm just going along because this is what I want to do and it's I'm not really falling for it. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was not interested in, in the tech or like uh, giving it any, any sort of validity. Um, I did find myself, um, like I said, sort of addicted to finding out more. Um, so um yeah, I never really uh, took it seriously, but I definitely felt that pull of like, I just want to see, I just want to see what's next, what's next, you know. And uh, how much pressure on you at the at the time was there about money? Oh, um, yeah, that was just sort of a constant. I mean, I think that they assess kind of like where you're at financially and apply however much they can in that direction. Um, I know that as I got deeper in, there was more um, kind of direct pressure that was like, I had, I was getting text messages to like urging me to call people that I was in debt to, to settle debts um, so that I could take out a credit card. Um, that took a while, but once I was in, in, they were ready to like ask that of me. And um, what about family and friends? Uh, what were you saying to people that were kind of like, Kat, what are you doing? Why are you getting involved with this group? What were you telling them? Uh, well, it was it was interesting. There's sort of two different um, takes on it. Um, the people that I was really close to, my closest friends, um, they understood, like they knew me well enough to know that I wasn't going to get brainwashed. Um, I think they were just sort of, sitting back being like, all right, just let her do what she wants. She's going to do it. Um, and, but they weren't worried about me necessarily. Um, the sort of, because I was in comedy, there's a sort of broader social community that I was part of. Um, people that didn't know me as well um, definitely were like juicy, juicy bit of gossip, local comedians, like getting involved in Scientology and lots of people thought I had actually become one. And so, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> And um, tell me about now, you know, Scientology is primarily, at least in the United States, is primarily a California and Florida thing. And Texas is interesting because, you know, we joke about all our, all our exes are in Texas because, you know, you have a, a cluster of, of well-known mm -hmm. former Scientologists that go there. And, and some of them have told me they choose Texas because it's as far away as you can get from California and Florida. However... There are a couple of spots there that that have been long, long time Scientology hotspots. And one of them, of course, is Austin. It sounds like, um, although you weren't there a long time, you got a very good understanding of who was who at that facility and who was making things happen. Tell me about that. 
Um, yeah, so um, at the time I was there right as things were starting to change because they had been fundraising for the Ideal Org for like 13 years at that point. Like it had been a long time already. And this was like 2017 around with what we yeah. were doing that? Okay. So already they'd been raising money for 13 years. Incredible. Yeah. Um, so because of that, I think I got to see more of who was the big wigs around there because they were counting on big donations. Um, so lots of names um, of the people that had the most money that were contributing the most um, and those people turning around and really pushing the rest of the congregation to, um, you know, donate. Um, also, the other factor was that um, since I didn't get, um, you know, I had my own personal social life. Uh, so the people that I um got close to were just staff members, uh, people that were, you know, the most dedicated of the Austin group was the staff members because that's who I was interacting with. And was there pressure on them to donate, even though they may, were making very little money? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I knew a kid who was 23 and he told me that he'd taken out a, I don't know how he got it, but he had taken out a $10,000 loan to give to them. Right. So, yeah. Incredible. And what was the what was some of the things you were hearing about how long it was going to take? What was going to be the effect? What were some of the things people were told about the sort of magic of an ideal org? Um, I think there was sort of there was an awareness in Austin of that they were sort of a backwater org that they weren't the center of Scientology in any way. Oh. Um, there was a little bit of. I, you know, I sense like some shame about it. Um, you know, this is, and the idea that they were getting was, well, we just, we'll be able to turn it around whenever the ideal org comes. Like, that's just, that's our big thing. That's why we're not moving forward. We just need that ideal org um, because, um, you know, things aren't set up right uh, for it to, to go right. And wow, they tried. We, you know, we, you and I put together some footage on uh, posted on the bunker going back a few years. And um, it's just fascinating to me to see how they convince Scientologists to come down to these things with the themed parties and the costume <laughs> parties. Uh, I mean, some of that stuff was just totally bizarre. Oh, yeah. The, I actually have something. I have the my little uh, finish it crazy town thing. You can see... You have so far contributed zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> achieving the status of friend, you need 500 to achieve the Dunsir Bronco. So, yeah, that was a... They gamify it. They always turn oh. it into a game. They always have these levels. I mm -hmm. didn't know that in uh, Austin you were trying to reach Bronco. I think the most <laughs> outrageous was Harlem... If you donated a certain amount of money, you became a homie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that that tracks. Ah, <clears throat> uh, but they really played up all the cowboy stuff and all the Austin thing, right? All the Austin oh, yeah. fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, um, 
tell me a little bit about so can you give me a little bit on the technical side about what courses you ended up doing i mean i'm not i know it's not going to mean everything to everybody but some people will be very curious about what you actually went through sure um so started out personality test iq test um went to uh <clears throat> got sold a Dianetics book that came with a free Dianetics session, um, did the Dianetics, Dianetics session. Uh, next thing was they sold me the um, Dianetics seminar. Um, I did that. It's like a two-day thing that I did with another new person. Um, and then I took the um, Success Through Communication course. A um, couple of... Um, extension courses where you're just on your own doing reading. Um, and then the next, the big one that I did uh, was the Hubbard Qualified Scientologist course. Um, and that was the one where I was like, that, that's kind of my like, okay, I'm actually gonna be here for a while. Um, it was like, I need to say yes to this so that I can keep coming. Um, but if I do say yes to it, it's going to keep, it's, it's a long course. What are some of the things that involves? Um, so that was, um, of course, every course has <clears throat> some uh, reading and listening to audio, answering questions um, based on that. Um, and then for HQS, um, they partner you up with another Scientologist or someone new. Um, I got partnered up with a, a guy that was new who's, he left. Um, eventually, but um, he and I basically um, would run drills to train on how to become um, auditors at that level. Um, and then we would um, do the auditing on each other. There's objective auditing, which is sort of like a more movement. You're moving around. You're not on the on the e-meter or anything. Um, and then the other type of auditing on the meter, but we just did the objective auditing. Um, and that's and, the, what? And you said you did the comm course. So did you do the bull baiting? Yeah. Yeah. It was Tell the, me about bull baiting. <laughs> well, it was the, I was told that it was sort of the training wheels bull baiting. Um, I was, it was explained to me that um, on a real bull baiting thing that they would really like, they could touch you, they could, say sexual things to you all that kind of stuff but um for for me the bull baiting was um i was with this guy uh jeff who was a longtime scientologist he um you know found out a little bit about me knew that my politics were uh, more liberal um which contrasted to most of them so what he would do would be like he would do like offensive voices um i yeah it's I'm really, I recorded, like I audio, audio recorded a lot of our stuff, but I missed the one where he did the voices and it was, it was, it was really funny because of how offensive it was. And just uh, for those few people who may not know what we're talking about, a, a very early experience in a Scientologist career is this thing called bull baiting, where you're supposed to sit perfectly still while the other person is shouting at you, saying rude things to you, doing things to try to get you to flinch. And you're supposed to just hold perfectly still. Um, did what was your idea of why they were doing that? What did they tell you was the point of sitting still through abuse, basically? Um, 
I mean, the guy that I did it with, he was he constantly was uh, praising the communication course for just how much it uh, gets you to um, be a better communicator. Um, so that was the big thing for them was, oh, it's about you're a better communicator. Um, he also brought up the fact that, um, you know, when it, there's a lot of people that are against Scientology. So it kind of trains you to be able to withstand all of that negative uh, talk. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it, there was nothing like, oh, we're priming you or anything like that. But like, yeah. And then in the objectives, that's like. Uh, go touch that wall or making people turn a certain way or picking up a book. Um, mm. I would think that would be kind of tough if you were sort of doing it cynically. I mean, if you were completely committed to it, I can see, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick up this book. I'm going to touch that wall. I'm going to, but if you're just sort of like gathering data, <laughs> was it hard for you to keep a, keep from, you know, keep the TRs in as they say? Um, yeah, I mean, like the way that I kind of did it was that I I tried to commit to like an authentic experience. Um, so I was, you know, just trying to keep my do get in the mindset basically. Um, but I I really started to dread it. It was so, it, it was really something that um, it just it takes a lot out of you. <laughs> I, I can um, imagine. Yeah. I've heard that the objectives are just physically grueling as well as, you know, intellectually draining. Yeah, I mean, there was a, uh, I definitely, they have this phenomenon or whatever of doping out or like, you know, where you sort of like kind of uh, fall asleep while you're still awake. That happened to me like three times um, wow. because it was just hours of doing repetitive stuff and your mind goes different places and I, on a few instances, felt like I had fallen asleep and just woke up. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> so can you tell us, you know, what started to convince you, okay, I need to get out of here? And was it a combination of just that fatigue for the material? Or were there some people doing them some things you didn't like? Um. Well, you know, as it started going on more months, I was like, I really can't keep doing this. Like it's not, it's just not the right thing to do to stay here as long. Uh, and there was a lot of different things that were happening. Um, I was starting to really get worn out by how much I felt bad for everyone that was there. I was seeing a lot of uh, people being really tired, suffering, putting pushing themselves when they clearly needed a rest. Um, and then, um, you know, I started to get in, uh, I was put in contact with um, Lori, whose uh, daughter and son were part of the org, and um, being sort of more connected to that situation, um, I really started to be kind of angry, and and I just couldn't stand to be like it was just such a weight to to be around these people that I knew were part of something so terrible, um, and that something so painful for someone, um, and I just I was. It was just become, it was too much was piling up. How did you make your exit? Um, so it's kind of a, a mistake, but it, I just accepted that I was like, I just kind of went with it. I, I couldn't keep myself from just 
piping up about my my uh, feelings. Um, and eventually I kind of pushed it a little too far, um, kind of was too open with the things that I knew. Um, and so they put me, you know, on a ethics thing and they interrogated me and all that. Um, and basically the bottom line was either you submit to this ethics process where you're just begging us basically for to to let you be back again or you fuck off um so eventually i was like okay i gotta go wow wow did they try to recover you later because they do that a lot um they did they they sent uh jeff the guy that i did the comm course with um and it felt sort of like um he was either he was sort of scoping out like either he was trying to figure out like if I had a bad experience that I was going to talk to people about because uh, at that point they didn't know who I was um or he was trying to fish to see if I was interested in coming back right. um so they that was uh like a couple of months after I had no contact with them um what what how did in your experience how did people talk about David Miscavige? How did they think of him in 2017 in Austin? Um, I mean, it was just praise. I, I, I'll be honest. I didn't really hear people talk that much about David Miscavige. Like, he didn't carry the awe that Hubbard did. Um, you know, he was just, he was kind of seen more as like, okay, this guy's manning the ship. He's He's leading us. He's our he's our leader. Right. Well, did they feel that donating all this money to a new facility was somehow honoring Hubbard? Um I I don't really remember. I, I'm I'm sure that's how they felt about it. I think their main thing was we have to do this because we want to have lots of people in the org. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, it, so it's been quite a while since you left that they finally got around to opening this thing. How much interaction has there been in those years for you with those folks? Um, really none. Um, I did uh, reach out to, I mean, I, I tried to reach out to, to uh, I had a couple of people in there that I really cared about. Um, and I tried to reach out to them, um, but, you know, radio silence, um, blocked on Facebook, all that kind of thing. Um, I did have one guy who I guess he was allowed to be like the one channel or terminal that I could speak to. Um, so I did reach out to him in 2020. I asked him, like, how are you guys doing with the COVID, all that stuff? And he said, you know, we're doing fine. Um, and eventually, uh, you know, I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, you know, hope you're doing well. Um, sorry for all the deception, but you know, I care about you guys. Uh, you know, hope you're well, maybe someday we can talk. That well, was you did, that. you did a couple of videos with Chris Shelton when you came out. Um, did, did you hear much about that from, from anybody, uh, inside at all? No, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Um, I, yeah, there was no response. There's nothing. And then uh, you helped me put together something great. I mean, that footage is so amazing. I mean, I've seen a lot of crazy fundraising footage. Um, 
But I mean, come on, the hula doing the hula in Texas. Yeah, uh, um, th that's the guy. That's the guy that did the offensive voices. So he's oh. like a jack of all trades for being offensive. Oh man, was and uh, so let's okay. So this last weekend, finally, you know they they had they took out permits, they canceled permits. Um. I think that thing's been ready to open for like three or four years. And, and finally Dave decided he's going to do it. Um, and I mean, it looked like it was the usual thing. They set up a bunch of shrubs, they get a bunch of security guards, but um, how close were you able to get? I mean, you were able to hear Dave pretty well, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, he was they they were in a side street um and just like in this one uh portion between guadalupe and san antonio street how much of guadalupe did they actually shut down uh none they didn't shut any of it down okay um there was just a sort of a, a path that people there's like a big bike lane and so they were able to have that space open for people to keep going by um but they shut off all of uh 22nd between Guad and uh, San Antonio. Um, so I was able to get um, pretty close. Like I was just outside of the cars that were parked on Guadalupe. Um, yeah. Did anybody recognize you that from the org? <laughs> I actually really didn't see. Um, I think the people that I knew were more in like, by the time I got there around 1.30 or like 1.00, um, most of the people I probably knew were already inside. Um, so no one that I knew, uh, I don't think saw me or like, I didn't see them see me. And, uh, how well could you hear Dave? Uh, pretty well. Um, there was a lot of people honking. Um, so there was, yeah, <laughs> um, you couldn't really hear him some of the time, but you know, I could, I could make out what he was saying. I think people on the street could could hear uh, I I kept I saw this guy like just make a face this like sort of bystander that was like because he was doing he was talking about crazy town and I, I just saw the look on that guy's face so I guess uh that's something that he does at these things is he does give some shout outs to the local folks that have raised so much money um which is smart on his part Mm -hmm. But it does seem kind of amazing that he would make references to Crazy Town. I, I actually had a video somewhere where around that period that you were there, 2017 or so, 2016, he showed some video of the fundraising going on, I think, in Europe. And it was the same kind of thing. Everyone was in costumes. It was like a tropical theme or a pirate theme or whatever. And they cut back to Miscavige and he's laughing at him. I mean, it's so obvious. He was laughing at them. He thought it was so ridiculous. So I think it's interesting that he would reference Crazy Town because he probably thinks they're all crazy for doing it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, going back to what you're saying about like, how did people regard Miscavige? I think they can, not consciously, but they can feel that he doesn't have the same. Um, sort of mutual obsession that Hubbard had with his followers. Uh, there's not that caretakery sense. Um, so there's, yeah, he's just sort of, 
not seen with quite as much love, I don't think. It's isn't it more fear? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and uh, um, you were there, but I, I I just read what they put out of the press release, and of course he has to go into the wh wherever he is. They dream up these local references for him, and he was going big on the whole Texas freedom, Texas fried thing. Um, I mean, Austin is not like the rest of Texas, right? No, I mean, it, it is to some extent. It's uh, There's definitely a cowboy vibe here. I think a lot of people that move here um, sort of play up that, like they move from out of state. Um, so it, it felt like a guy that wasn't from Austin, you know, being like, yeah, cowboys, Texas, you know, barbecue. He didn't make any uh, South by Southwest references, did he? I don't. I don't think I saw any. <laughs> yeah. So, what were some of your other observations about what went down that day? Um. Well, uh, you know, he shouted out uh, these people that gave a lot of money. Um, he did not shout out the people that had given up all their time. You know, uh, people, lowly staff members that have dedicated hours and hours and hours to this. No mention. Right. Because um, they don't have the bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, that was one one thing that just came to mind while I was there. Um, I think, you know, people in Austin have been. Just like mystified by what's going on with the building um, and because it's just been sitting there vacant for so long. Were you surprised to see there was such there was so little media, local media interest in what was going on? Mm -hmm. No, I I think people are are kind of over it <laughs> in terms of people don't really care what Scientology is doing in Austin. Um, mostly that building is an eyesore for a lot of people. They there used to be there was an art a fake article that came out that said that they were going to turn it into an HEB, and I think mostly people are disappointed that it's not a grocery store so. <laughs> i mean it does have prime location right it's right across from the university of uh, texas right mm -hmm. yeah sure is had you heard of any of these four local dignitaries who were honored guests and uh spoke on behalf of uh scientology uh no, I'm not personally familiar with any of them. Um I do know about the interfaith group. Um uh I am uh, involved in the, the Jewish community in Austin. Um so I know um as a real member. Um but so I know that um that uh some of the people that I know are involved in uh the interfaith group. Um but I I'm really I I don't know if that was something that even was made public to people that are involved with it, it, it kind of mystifies me, like how that whole thing happens. It is strange. And they love interfaith groups, but I, I, I feel like they tend to uh, um, develop relationships with folks. I mean, they're shills. They're, they're, you know, they're very legitimate interfaith groups doing very good work, but that's not who Scientology attracts. Yeah. You know, they attract these shills that'll say whatever they want them to say. And it's just bizarre. Um, yeah. uh, and then and then to have a NAACP representative 
going think- on and on about what a great guy L. Ron Hubbard was. I mean, that was just awful. Yeah, that was that was the only because I had gotten there late, so that was the only guy that I heard, um, and I was just like, oh, man, they got is it, it just it sucked to hear, um, yeah. God, and it's it's funny because you're I I agree with you. I think Scientologists tend to be conservative. I think it's it it tends to be a conservative organization, but David Miscavige really pays a lot of attention to PR that reaches out to give the impression that Scientology is a very inclusive thing and all their media, they make sure and have a a lot of people of color and they talk in ways uh, that are very inclusive, which I I wonder who's consulting Dave on that. (laughs) Because we all know it's one of the widest organizations in the country and uh, Hubbard was an apartheid supporter. And... um, I don't know. It's just funny to me that Dave goes all in on this really touchy feely PR. Yeah. I mean, I think that the people that are in um, to the extent that they even pay attention to that, I think they are, they know, they know the drill about like how we present ourselves to the outside versus how we really are, you know? Um, But I think he, he knows that he doesn't want to cross a certain um cultural he doesn't want to get involved in a certain type of cultural war right right yeah it's funny because uh scientology clearly doesn't care about its public you know reputation in some ways but it cares a lot in other ways so for example you know in court fights in particular their attorneys will just lay it out in documents in the most amazing ways yeah, we can treat people however we want to. I don't care if they're only 15 and they signed up for a lifetime. We can treat them however we want. I mean, they just, they don't worry in court about how they come off. But then in other ways, in their Super Bowl ad and their, you know, the film they'll make from this about the ideal org, they seem to really care about what the people think and what they put on Scientology TV. So it's kind of a funny dichotomy that it's this ruthless organization that doesn't mind coming off ruthless in some ways, but in other ways, they're very sensitive to how they uh, appear. Um, I don't know, the, the, the people you met inside, you, you said you found some people that you really cared about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think, <clears throat> um, I think they know that there's only a certain amount of people that will um, pay attention to the court stuff. You know, there's a lot more people that are going to watch the Super Bowl. Um, so I think they they kind of calculate. Um, this is just my theory. They they calculate like what they because um, they know that they can't stop uh, a lot of stuff from getting out. But they kind of are, you know, trying to play the cards that they have, I guess. Are you curious about what it's like inside? Do you, do you think you might go back sometime and just at least get a, a walk through? Uh, I I don't think I'd be able to. Um, yeah, I think they would turn me away. Yeah, they have put out some pictures that are kind of funny because it's like the Lone Star Cafe and the mm. you know everything is themed that way, which is funny. I mean, they spend so much money on that kind of thing. It's it's amazing. But then we yeah. saw we saw those videos that you you know that we put out that you helped me put out. I mean, they were just asking people for so much money. 
and they had to wait for so long. I, you know, I am curious how they feel about that. I, I mean, uh, even when they first got into the temporary building, I know that they were very fatigued by it. Like they were, it was very much like a thing where it, it was always sort of beneath the surface of like, man, we're really ready for this to happen. We're really ready for this to happen. We're, you know, and that was right whenever I left, which was right when they got to the temporary space. So I, I know that they were like so ready um, for it to, to finally get done. And now they need to win the birthday game. <laughs> yeah. Another task. But it's going to be tough to with Chicago and Mexico City and Paris coming online. Everyone's going to want to win that birthday game. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, that's wild. So when people ask you about Scientology, what are some of the key things you like to tell people about your time in and, and what you experienced? What do you want people to take away from it? Uh, I mean, I guess I try to explain, um, you know, that people aren't like people are like robots um it's much different than you might expect uh a cult to be um there's a, a constant sort of like push and pull of the individual versus like the group identity um and i think i don't know there's lots of things i i, I could say about it but um i think it's just mostly fascinating from a human nature perspective. I think I learned a lot about, you know, what drives people um, and what, um, it, you know, what people are searching for that they kind of end up in these wrong places going down these roads. What would you say to a family that wanted to get out somebody that you had met in the, in the org? What, what would you tell them might be the most effective way to talk to them to get them to start looking in a different direction uh i mean it's tough there's there's not really a whole lot you can um say to someone um unless they're really ready to leave i think it requ usually requires something big uh happening to them really negative for them to question um so i mean i guess if i were to say anything to someone a family that was looking to leave um <clears throat> i think i would just encourage them to really think through what they can you know give up in terms of people or experiences and what they could possibly gain from from leaving um parts of themselves that they want to explore things that they um you know have really uh desired while they're in Scientology, but have been prevented from going forward. Like, think about what you could possibly experience in life that you have been prevented from experiencing. Was there anyone there that you wish you could personally help get out of there? <laughs> uh, I mean, all of them. <laughs> um, there was, a, I mean, there's one particular guy that I think, um, like, I, I hadn't, you know, I've, I've, kept myself um away from looking too much into it because it's painful um but i did you know see this guy's like facebook page uh recently and like i like i teared up like i was like you know i i miss this guy this was this person that i wanted to be friends with um and yeah i would i would love for him to you know get free of it or you know at least 
you know, not be on staff, like be like live like a very detached Scientologist if at the most, because I know that he has family and that he doesn't want to give up. So yeah, I just was constantly um, wanting that this particular person to uh, advocate for themselves, to to care about their own personal desires and to go for those things, um, you know, and not feel so pressured to give their entire life to the Austin Scientology org. Well, that's, that's a great uh, impulse that you have to, you know, want to help somebody like that. And uh, uh, I think it's really important to keep that in mind that there are really good people in there that just could probably use a little push in a different direction and maybe they'd see things differently. Um, yeah. But then there's the guy with the coconuts on his chest. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah, voices that... in, in bull baiting and, yeah, I, I don't know how that guy's doing, but I like at the time that I was in, um, there was like he was about to. Well, I don't know if he was imminently, but there was talk of how he needed to like disconnect from his son. Like oh. there was, it was, you know. And I was like, man, even that guy, I was like, come on, dude, like snap out of it. So they there was open talk about disconnection in front of you. Oh yeah, I mean, I think. I, they probably wouldn't have done that right away, but uh, about seven months in, um, he was talking about it. Like I heard him talking about it to another person and he explained it to me as well. Um, well, if you were there in 2017, um, did you see some of these credit card scam, uh, credit card pushes on people to open up new credit cards, to take new lines of credit? Um in order to pile up their donations? Yeah, I mean, they, they tried to get me to to get credit cards and stuff. Like, it was pretty, I mean, that was just par for the course. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow, well, um, interesting. I mean, I, I have talked to a few other people that said, you know, I, I went in just to prove everybody wrong and I'm not going to get sucked in. And they got sucked in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think it sounds like you kind of, even though you got more involved and you developed some relationships, you always were kind of keeping your eye on what was really going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was I had been I'd read Going Clear and I had uh, been a fan of Chris Shelton and, you know, like watched all his videos, all these interviews with people. Um, so I, there was no sense of like, oh, this could this could be a good thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> So. All right. Well, gosh, and now they've got an ideal lord. So Austin is set, you know. Yeah, they're straight up and vertical. But, you know, Austin has an ideal org and Dallas has an ideal org. San Antonio has an ideal org. Houston only has a mission. Oh. And it's the biggest city in the whole state, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not the widest city in the whole state. <laughs> well, there, there, maybe that has something to do with it. Very good. Yeah. yeah. I like Houston. All right. Me too. Uh, do you want to bring us up to date on what you're doing? And, uh, you know, what's what's the latest with you? Um, You know, not much. Um, you know, I like I said, I don't I, I don't keep up with Scientology as much as I used to. Um, you know, um, 
I uh, I kind of have abandoned the comedy thing. Um, just to be real. It's um, I might go, you know, I might go up back up on stage uh, and just do like for fun. But um, in terms of creating content, um, probably not. Um, yeah, I was I yeah like I was a teacher for a couple of years and I was like okay maybe I should get a career. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Well, you're still young. You're yeah. still young. You'll figure it out. Yeah. But I just want to tell you how much I'm grateful that you uh, helped us out with the fundraising videos and then went to the event and told us about it. And uh, you were probably the only person outside of the barriers that understood what he was talking about when David Miscavige was talking about Crazy Town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe he brought it up. It was so funny. I was like, wow. Flashbacks. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Kat, thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to talk to us about? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I'm glad that you invited me on. I wasn't really expecting to talk again about Scientology, but it's 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 interesting. It's really interesting to revisit all that stuff. Um, but yeah. Well, you know, you have a you really have an insider's um, understanding of that place, and and that's something that you know every one of these places has their powerful families and involved families and these families get involved with each other and it can become like Peyton Place and all that crazy stuff and some people get disconnected from so I mean every org has that kind of entanglement and so it's fascinating to hear from somebody that was in long enough to tell us a little bit, bit about who's who and so that's what I really appreciated about your report on Saturday that was really fun yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, this is like made me start to think like um, I should probably take like I dragged out all my stuff. So I'm like, maybe I should take like a, a, a like note of all this stuff and maybe combine it into something that's like more of a complete picture. Uh, so, yeah, if I do that, I'll send I'll send it to you. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh I'm sure Austin will do its best to be to win the birthday game. And in a year, that thing is going to be so dead. So mm -hmm. dead. Yeah. Like all of them. Indeed. I'm I'm ready for that to happen. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kat. Yeah. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Now